My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Rose from rnw.net. We talk about player versus player games, player information, hometowns, and a bunch of other fun tabletop RPG stuff. Her and her husband run a online shop that sells various supplements and notepads and things like that for D&D 5th edition. So go ahead and check her shop out. That link is in the description. If you are interested in being on the podcast, you can contact me via Discord or Twitter. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everyone. Today, I have Rose from rnw.net. Welcome, Rose. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, Rose, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I'm Rose, uh, and I got started, uh, well, via my husband, who technically tricked me into playing D&D. &D. Um, he, uh, he was pretty passionate about tabletop games uh, for a long time before I was. And uh, I just didn't really have much of an interest in them, which I now realize was completely foolish. Um, but uh, so he kept trying to persuade me to play D&D &D, and I was like, nah, and like uh, the whole vibe of D&D &D didn't really like click with me. Um, it seemed sort of very old school fantasy. And I don't know, I wasn't much into that and so one day he just made up a game um that was sort of loosely based on D, &D rules um where it uh, was a mashup between um my favorite tv show which was lost and uh, jurassic park which was a movie we both enjoyed and uh he created this uh, ridiculous adventure where uh like a bunch of us uh friends and stuff all land on an island from a plane crash and have to explore and uh, it turns out that there's sort of weird time travel nonsense and shady government figures and dinosaurs uh, all roaming around this island and uh, it was it was a lot of fun and um, at the end he was like yeah by the way this is basically what TNT is and I was like oh right um well then I guess I'll play more of that so so um so that's how uh he got me into it at first um which was very sly of him and then um since then uh i've uh, of course run a few of my own campaigns um and eventually just turned that into our job um we both uh, make products for D, D in our shop and um for our patreon as well and uh yeah, we've been doing that for a good five years now. That's awesome. So from complete disinterest to turning it into a, a full-time business? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know. It was, it was quite a turnaround, eh? That campaign sounds fun. Was that uh, was that like a one-on-one -on -one game with just you and your husband? Or did you have a couple other people that joined for that as well? No, yeah, we had some friends as well. Uh, so that was the first campaign I played in. And then we sort of continued to play with that group um, where we all took turns dungeon mastering. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I recently found my notes actually from that first session that I dungeon mastered and they were just a complete mess. I can't believe I managed to run a session with them, honestly. <laughs> um, they were just... Uh, so vague. I think my biggest mistake that I made uh, as a first-time DM <laughs> was assuming that the players would do what I thought they would do, uh, which is obviously a really classic mistake. Um, they will always do what you never expect them to do, but I didn't know that at the time. Oh, yeah. They always come up with weird, random Every things. Or, yeah. or they'll ask a question. It'll be that sly question, right, where they say, is there a... You know this object in the room, and you're like, yeah, yeah sure, whatever, why not? And you're like, okay, it's so I have floor this floor made of wood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Burn, I burn the floor down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, what system was that? Was that like fifth edition D and D, or yeah, that was fifth edition. Yeah, uh, that's the only one that I've played personally. Okay, so you stuck kind of within the the fifth edition realm then. Yeah. Um. So I found you on TikTok, actually. Mm -hmm. And the video that showed up for me was your, I think it was like an end of the year 
like mm-hmm. big like player versus player type game. Yes. Yeah. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is a tradition that we uh, me and my friends have uh, every New Year's Eve. Um, we have this uh, huge PVP game and so each year i try to make it um sort of a different mechanic uh so in the past we've had like um uh, a maze run um uh, a giant uh, a giant dungeon um we've had a scavenger hunt and then this latest year was capture the flag um it's uh it's obviously like quite different to normal D because we are all playing against each other um which is why we sort of only do it once a year because um, it, it does get quite competitive. Um, and, you know, we're all like drinking, um, uh, which also makes it just like a bit rowdier than a usual D&D game, I guess. Um, part of uh, what we do is have um, potions that we just make out of like tiny little uh, liquor bottles. Um, and, you know, it, once a once a person drinks their potion, their character will get some sort of benefit that will give them a, a momentary advantage in the in the PvP game. Um, so, yeah, the the maze runs um, were all done uh, as like individual players um, for the first year. Uh, the second year, however, I thought it might be more fun if people were in teams. I thought that they could maybe strategize a bit and like um, you know one of the fun things about. Uh, a regular D&D game is that your whole party sort of comes together with their different skills and approaches to uh, find creative ways to uh, beat whatever's going on. And so I figured that having teams would be a little bit more fun in that way. And it was. Um, we had a good time with that maze. Um, and then the next year, I thought rather than just like a straight up race, um, maybe having something uh, a little bit more complicated. So we went with a scavenger hunt where we had a really long... Um, map that I made, sort of like a 3D terrain that spanned the length of the room. And uh, we had, I think it was three teams, um, and each one uh, started in a different a different place on the map. And they were all given sort of um, incomplete uh, mini maps and uh, vague sort of riddles and clues um, about what objects they needed to collect. And then uh, there was a witch in the middle of the board and you had to give all of these items to the witch first to win. Um, and uh, the one of the most fun parts of these games, I think, is uh, how chaotic they can be um, because uh, everyone's just really uh, trying to beat everyone else um, as quickly as possible. So I decided to just add more chaos to that by having the witch randomly each round uh, switch teams around which meant that if you were carrying an object that you just picked up and then you switch teams, then your new team now owns that object. Uh, and it just made things even more contentious, which was really fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a very close call on who won on that one. It was really, um, everyone was running to the witch at the very end um, with their handfuls of objects. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, like someone managed to slow down time at the last second with like a, a potion I'd Put in there and so everyone was sort of like <laughs> slow-mo jumping at the witch with all of their objects uh it, it was a pretty good ending uh and then yeah uh, this year i thought again um about doing something different and i was mostly kind of just trying to be inspired by like children's games i think that they're a, a nice sort of like simple starting point because you never want something too complicated for a night like this uh so capture the flag was what i went with and uh, yeah, again, it was pretty chaotic. Um, I did keep that uh, switch element in where people can switch teams because I thought that if you're holding the flag and you suddenly switch, that's uh, a pretty interesting dynamic to add to things. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that's that's what we uh, that's what we do each year. Um, how how did you handle um, like initiative in in terms of like who goes when? Uh, we just straight up roll for it at the beginning and just keep that initiative the whole way through. Uh, so the entire session is played in initiative. Okay, so it's just that first turn order is determined, and then after that, that's just set. That's You're not messing it, yeah. with it at all. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, for the most part, the players will you know attempt to like maybe impede the other players, but not necessarily try to kill them. Oh yes, um, <laughs> that was funny this year. Like usually, people do try to impede rather than kill. 
but this year I had a feeling that this was going to be even more competitive than it has been in previous years. Um, and uh, so everyone for Capture the Flag started in the middle in like a neutral zone. Um, and uh, the first person like moved away from the cluster of uh, like tokens in the center and uh, another player was immediately like, right, attack of opportunity and just like st stabbed the moving player. And um, that sort of uh, set a precedent then for uh, some people really getting into just fighting each other <laughs> rather than going after the flags, uh, which, you know, is their prerogative. Um so uh, this this one uh, in like a, a character on character sense was definitely a bit more violent than usual, uh, but it was it was pretty funny. So uh, yeah, you need to have it set up like the Hunger Games where they're all like thirty feet apart on pedestals <laughs> at the beginning, so they don't get opportunity attacks on each other. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. But uh, I, I quite enjoyed this way too. Well, hey, that's that's what's fun. Did you have any players that got actually killed during this session? Oh yeah, a bunch of times. There was uh, it was my husband actually that got killed the most. Um, he was the one that did the first attack of opportunity, and so everyone <laughs> sort of held a grudge against him. Um, and if there was any opportunity to stab anyone, they would stab his character. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think he died maybe three times during the session. Um, we uh, the, the mechanic for that was just you make death saves and uh, I mean either you uh, become alive again with one hit point or if you properly die you just get sort of teleported back to the neutral zone. Uh, but I think if I was to run it again I'd probably change that because those death saves can take so many turns if you're like yeah I mean it can take what five turns if you don't get the right rolls either way. Um, so I'd probably just shorten that to one death save if you die. Sure. So it's either you you stand back up or you're starting back over at the yeah pretty much the respawn point. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Smaller penalty, basically. Yeah. And you yeah, on TikTok. So anybody listening, you should go check out that TikTok video. You did a pretty large actual like terrain piece for that. <laughs> That's true. I did. Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't as large as the scavenger hunt. Actually, that one was much bigger. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like crafting and stuff. So uh, I enjoyed just building something and like, you know, it's New Year's Eve, like there's sort of a lot of festivity uh, uh, for that time of year. So I always want to sort of like reveal the room to all my friends and sort of have them all go like, oh, so uh, I always try and do some sort of like big, crazy map so that they're all like excited and interested. Um, so the map that I built this year was um uh sort of like three areas and those were the three territories of the three teams um so there was just like a a forest full of mushrooms uh a mountain um with bats and uh uh some like fancy gardens with hedges and uh, each of these territories had like um an ally that the uh the, that team uh could sort of call upon to help them in that area so like you could call upon the hedges to grapple people. Um, you could call upon the bats to swarm in a cloud around someone and the mushrooms would release uh, psychedelic spores that would kind of confuse players, basically. Um, but yeah, how I built the map, um, <laughs> I, I did it in two ways. Um, I kind of regret the first way a bit because I started off just doing it in cardboard. Um, I just like cutting inch inch wide strips of card and then sort of like building that up to make a mountain and then uh for the second half i used foam board instead and it was just so much easier and so if anyone's gonna make a, th a 3d terrain map um that they want to be fairly simple go with foam board and do not use cardboard <laughs> would be my advice there uh, well I, I would definitely if i was one of your friends i would be pumped for uh new year's eve at your house because uh, that just sounds awesome and it looked pretty cool on the TikTok video. Ah, thank you. Oh, and I, I did surround it with fairy lights as well, just to, you know, add that little bit more festivity. <laughs> Why not, you know? Um, so from kind of your starting point of not having any interest to, you know, running these big, you know, end of year games, what what things have you learned as a dungeon master kind of along that journey? 
Oh, um, <clears throat> that's a good question. I I think, um, I mean, uh, the the big games that we do are sort of just like for fun. Um, obviously, we write a lot of content uh, for DMs and sort of make a lot of tools for them as well. Um, and the majority of what I've learned has come from sort of running campaigns I'd say um and it's uh I know something I've been turning over a lot in my head lately is about sort of providing information to players and to be a lot less stingy and just always pick the funnest option with like giving them information and like letting them do stuff uh I think I've made a lot of mistakes in the past where I assumed that they would just pull at threads story threads um and uh, that like everyone has the same level of investment into finding out what's sort of going on behind the scenes. But like every player has like a different reason for being at the table. Like some of them just want to be silly. Some of them really want to uh, get into their own backstories. Uh, some of them really want to investigate every little thread, but other people just want to sort of uh, plow through the bigger points of the story. Um, some of them want to just interact with NPCs, but others want to like dig up every piece of treasure and so uh, sort of leaning into what you can sense people want to do with what you're putting in front of them rather than uh just trying to do what you wanted to do with the campaign uh i found leads to just everyone having a lot more fun um because at the end of the day you've still written or prepared or whatever everything that you're doing um but like uh hoping that people are gonna tug at threads that you didn't even realize weren't that obvious can just lead to like disappointment for a dm and uh i found that just like providing them with more kind of story or exposition or details um regardless of if they've pulled threads or not can actually just uh, give them more to sort of play with um but it always feels a little bit like against dm instinct in my opinion to like give them more than you planned to um but i feel like that's the biggest thing that i've learned is just like yeah uh give more than you think do you um so does that come out in like just as you're describing things that you maybe give them more detail or do you you know like talk to your players kind of like after sessions or outside of the game or even in the game to see like what what is it that their characters or their, their that they as players are trying to go for how does that kind of work its way into the game uh yeah i guess a little bit of both i mean like um okay so like uh one thing that we've made recently uh, we did it through a kickstarter it was called the traveler's guide to the sodden Weald, and it's um uh it's like a campaign setting in a wild magic swamp um but how we published it was there's there's two uh, books there's a, a player's guide and a dm guide and essentially the player's guide is like an in-world book um that tells you all about the uh plants and animals um that you can find in this wild magic swamp region uh it tells you about all of the different uh sort of like mini regions within the area and uh gives you a, a very brief overview of towns it's a little bit like um like a tourist guide almost, but like in world. And then like the the DM book alongside it gives, uh, you know, the creature stats, the secrets that are in each area, hidden stuff, uh, treasure, whatever. Um, and like, I feel like that's a good example of um, the way that I like to run things where like you can give players an entire book and say, look, this is everything that you know, you've got this guide. Um, and it, actually helps them to be much more engaged and pick out the things that they're interested in rather than them not knowing what to pick out, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's a sort of an example of how you can just give players information and they can decide what they want to do with it. Whereas like, if they don't even know that the information exists because it's hidden behind uh, anything, <laughs> um, then yeah, it can sort of lead to frustration on both ends, I think. Yeah, I can see that. And it, I think it can be easy as a dungeon master to, you know, you're prepping everything. And if you're running a module or, or something that you've written, um, you know what all of the stuff in the world is, but the players only know what you have told them 
about. Exactly. So even though their characters would probably know a lot more, at least a lot of like general information. So I think giving them like a handout that just kind of is a, a brief overview is really cool. And I especially like that you did it as like an in-game item um, that the characters would actually have because it just makes it a little bit more... Uh, like probably, in a way. Yeah, yep. And is that a physical handout that you give them? Uh, yeah, we, I mean, for the Kickstarter, we produced physical books, um, but also, you know, there's, there's digital versions of the same thing. Uh, just depends what people want really. So kind of on that note of the handout, do you, when you run your games, do they tend to be a little bit more like sandboxy or do you tend to have like specific stories or how does that work? Hmm. Um, let me think. I, I suppose like uh, the right balance to strike for me is like the appearance of a sandbox, um, but like it's sort of you know gently guided, um, because uh, I like I think a complete sandbox can just uh, it can lead to too much work for the DM and also sort of aimlessness for the players. Um, the, there's got to be something sort of nudging them in the right direction, um, and just also like reducing prep time for you. Um, I made a mistake with the first sort of big campaign I ran. It was, um, I made a world map, um, because I just wanted to give sort of context to things. I wanted people to be able to maybe like pick a town that their characters were from. Um, but the minute that the players saw the world map, they were like, we should go to every single one of these towns and let's explore them all. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was not prepared for that. Um, and so I, then I spent a long time, um, writing what was in each of these towns. Um, so like, I, I suppose I, I try not to make it too sandboxy. Um, but like at the same time, you want to make sure that they feel as if they can go anywhere if, you, if they want. Um, so in the current campaign that I'm running, um, they uh, the the premise is that they're in a small sort of uh, broken town, and um, there there's a, an old museum that they've discovered some uh, portals underneath, and um, the the portals lead to all over the world, um, and uh, each portal has like a a sort of magic wishing stone uh, like hidden somewhere uh, within that area that the portal leads to and these wishing stones will gradually uh, help sort of bring the town back to its former glory so like um you know the the town then is fully fleshed out with like uh, people and things going on and like the potential for it to uh, grow and improve um but then uh each one of these adventures that they go through in the portals is essentially like a one shot um so it means that like I only have to sort of prepare these little adventures, but they still get to choose where they go at all times and choose what they do. But because they also have this like um town that they're returning to all of the time, they can also build relationships with NPCs, which I find then is more rewarding when they uh uh you know do something for an NPC or uh you know something happens like you sort of that building a connection to the place and the people um just makes the uh the subsequent events more rewarding, I guess. It's a, a neat concept that reminds me of um, a little bit of like sci-fi games because uh, typically in like a sci-fi game, your players usually have like a ship or something. So that's kind of like the home base and then they can kind of zip to, you know, wherever it is, have the little one shot session, you know, everything's kind of contained and then they can come back and then... Exactly. You know, yeah. you kind of it's kind of that same feeling uh, to and as a as a game master, it, it does really limit your um, your prep time because you're just dealing with the one thing until they get back to town. Um, yeah. Do you do anything? Do you have like encounters and stuff that happen in that kind of hometown area? Oh, yeah. I uh, I made a notice board for the town um, and that was just to sort of get them talking to people um so, you know, the uh, it, it's a little bit sort of like Stardew Valley inspired. So there's just like all of these sort of cute people there who are like uh, need cute little tasks doing for them. So they're like fairly low stakes. Um, and it's just so that people can sort of like mess around, stretch their legs. And then when they want some sort of like serious high stakes adventure, they can go through a portal and do something difficult. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the most recent thing that we had from the notice board was um, a surfing competition uh, in the local river. Um, and so, you know, the, the players spent some time uh, finding like different uh, surfboards and like putting together uh, what they thought would be uh, the best board to surf on to win the competition. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a sort of like laid back activities in the town. Um, but there's definitely encounters. It's just that they're like, uh, they're all just supposed to be very mild. And then like, uh, it sets a nice sort of like different pace, depending on if, if you're in the town or through a portal. And what does your prep look like? Do you end up doing like a bunch of notes or how do you get ready for a session? Hmm. Um, at the, at the beginning of a campaign, I'll probably do a ton of prep. Um, you know, things like write the entire town, make sure I know who's there and what's inside each building. Um, uh, I like to prepare just short readouts um, so that uh, I can give people sort of accurate descriptions um, and then we can always refer back to them later if we <laughs> forgot what's in a building or whatever. Um, and uh, I make like a quite a thorough NPC list um, where like I have like the, their name and uh sort of what they look like and uh what their occupation is and then their general attitude um i find that the attitude just helps me remember like how to voice them how to play them um just like a couple of words to give me a hint because when you've got a lot of npcs it's, it's easy to forget uh who acts which way um but then like once the campaign's sort of all set up and the world building's all done um the thing that i will always do without fail is uh when i sit down to prep the next session i write a summary of the previous session that i'm going to read out to everyone and that is so helpful um first of all for me to like remember what happened and to to know where i'm gonna want to sort of push them next but then uh it's also just nice uh at the start of a session to read out okay so this is what happened last time and i just make it into a little story and everyone sort of settles in um, and then, uh, the next thing I'll do after writing the summary is just write a few bullet points of like largely what I expect them to do. Um, so it might be, yeah, they're going to go do the surfing competition probably. Um, so they're probably going to want to make surfboards. So then I guess these are the people in town who they can speak to if they need help with that. Um, and just sort of like, uh, uh, yeah i mean i know i said before that um trying to predict what they'll do uh is obviously a mistake and i, I still think it is but like uh uh having a, a rough idea of like um who they might be able to get some help from if they're stuck um and sort of like general areas of where they're going to like physically be in the game um that's generally what i prep for and then like if i know that you know maybe they've done plenty of stuff in town they're going to go through one of these portals i'll just i'll just write that one shot as well um but like uh that just completely depends on, on what happened last time um but i write it mostly in just like uh bullet points and then it also just depends on how much time i have to prep um like the the sessions uh where i've had the least amount of time to prep i'll just have that list of bullet points and just like um do my best um and you know that's maybe where i'll just like um instead of like trying to come up with some cool monster maybe i'll just be like oh there's this monster that already exists online and i'll just take the stats for that and put that in or whatever um and then yeah if i have more time to prep um i will uh, try to um yeah create monsters or create sort of like unusual encounters maybe i'll draw a map or um make a terrain uh make some handouts uh it sort of depends what's what's coming out but uh i do like to spend a long time on prep if i can um i like to sort of get crafty with it and i like to give them sort of like physical things i just think it's like nice to have as keepsakes from the game and you know the our players like to use journals and like make notes and stick these things in so like it all sort of feeds into that as well and your prep for the one shots is that pretty similar to how you would just prep for like a regular session or how what is your kind of writing uh for the one shot look like uh so because all of these one shots involve um finding one of these uh like stones um 
all I have to do is just come up with a way that the stone is uh, both obvious where it is, but somewhat inaccessible. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, again, like, depending on how much time I have, I will start by just making the bullet points of like, right, the stones here. Um, this is the surrounding area. And uh, OK, so like for the last one, the stone was uh, uh, lying on top of a dragon's hoard. And surrounding the dragon's horde was um, uh, a prison um, in this uh, in this town where there were lots of uh, dragonborn who sort of worship the big dragon uh, and her horde, and uh, they had like a really sort of mean prison. And the portal takes you to inside um, a prison cell. And so, <clears throat> yeah. At first, I just wrote that uh, the the stones on top of the horde, uh, the dragons here. And like, I, I sort of try and make sure that I get some key info down about like, um, uh, the, the size of the cave that they're in or, um, uh, how far away the stone is from, uh, like we had the, some walkways that went over the top of the, uh, the horde. So you would have to sort of lower yourself down mission impossible style to pick up the stone, but like knowing how, uh, how far you'd have to lower yourself. That was something that I needed to prep up front. So, you know, you just say, oh, it's a hundred feet or whatever. And, um, and then if I have time and I know that we're going to be coming up against some sort of particular rule. So like in this one, we had this hundred foot drop. So I, uh, just had the falling rules, um, sort of prepared in a tab just so that we'd remember like, uh, how to deal damage if someone falls and that kind of thing. And, you know, climbing rules and, uh, having like those rules reminders, if you know sort of that that's probably going to come up, that just saves you a bit of time faffing around during the game. Um, but then uh, eventually I did have time to also make uh, like a big map for that. Um, and then I also had like, um, you know, one of those dry erase maps uh, for like smaller area encounters. So they had a big area map so they could see what was going on everywhere. Um, and then we would just draw maps as we needed them on the dry erase grid. Um, and I didn't have time to prep, uh, the actual NPCs in this area. I mean, it was going to be guards and prisoners and a dragon. So the dragon was easy enough to just look up online and just get some stats for a dragon. And, and the same with the guards, like they, they didn't need to be anything, uh, too, uh, detailed uh, or original to be honest. And then, um, for the prisoners, um, I, th I, oh, I made an NPC list for the prisoners, where um, I just sort of came up with uh, sort of 20 names and 20 crimes and uh, 20 attitudes uh, towards the the player characters and the crimes. Um, and that was enough. They, they actually eventually ended up freeing everyone um, uh, in an attempt to rush the guards. Uh, so it was good that uh, I sort of wrote at least the names and uh, attitudes of these NPCs down. Um, because they did actually get quite picky about which prisoners they wanted to let out, because obviously they didn't want to let out any scary prisoners who um, were maybe going to cause trouble for the player characters rather than um, uh, the dragon. So that was a, a fun thing. Prison break uh, at the dragon's horde. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a really fun uh, one-shot. Yeah. Um, this might be a good time to switch over and kind of chat about uh, your store and kind of some of the projects that you're working on. You want to tell us about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we have a store <laughs> and um, there we have uh, a good mix of uh, different types of character sheets, uh, different like styles and uh, like functionalities. Uh, we also have a lot of game master tools and like world building kits. Um, we've made a lot of like item card packs, uh, paper craft buildables. We've got journals, stationery, stickers, notepads. Um, and we've also got a few one shots, um, uh, some of which come with uh, entire sort of paper craft uh, buildables themselves. And uh, I think the most recent thing that we released is just the last few remaining pieces from our Kickstarter um, about the Wild Magic Swamp. So there are now some books and maps available, as well as like a, a PDF set uh, so that people can have like a whole 
a little campaign setting if they want. And it comes with um, a short adventure that's supposed to last about five sessions or so. Um, so that's sort of recently what's been going on in the shop. There's so much in the shop, to be honest, by now, because it's been it's been going for, yeah, five years. Um, we've got, you know, like class specific sheets and uh, we worked on like a, a new and improved version of the character sheet, which just uh, sort of like... Uh, reorders a few things um it takes things like uh role play info off the front page puts that on its own page and instead like gives you space for like um the benefits of a short rest or whatever and just things that you sort of need to know are all now on the front page which is sort of handy um things like spell cards and um uh, like session summary helpers and all this kind of stuff it's uh it's all mostly digital um but we do have a few sort of physical uh journals and notepads as well um and then we also have a patreon and there we uh produce sort of um we we call them quest packs but they're like a a monthly sort of block of D content um it's hard to say exactly what it is because it changes quite drastically from month to month um but essentially we we publish a campaign over uh you know a couple of years and we publish it in these sort of monthly chunks um but we always try to uh put something in that you can just lift out and put in your own game as well so it's not that you like have to be committed to this particular campaign uh because there will always be like maybe some monsters or some uh papercraft uh sort of printables um or some shops or uh some maps it's like something that you could use in your own game uh regardless if you wanted to um and at the moment there we're actually publishing uh, some new travelers guides to uh, uh an archipelago of uh musical magical uh, islands essentially um that are populated by a bird folk um who have been enchanted by a goddess uh to be able to uh sort of communicate by song uh so that's sort of like roughly what we're doing at the moment um and then uh, right now, I'm just working on our next one shot, um, which is going to be about um, magical cats. <laughs> um, so that's uh, just about to go into the early stages of playtesting. That's yeah. really that's really cool. Um, a lot of those products sound really fun, especially the like little handouts and and the journals and stuff. I actually just got a. Um, a D&D character journal from a, a work uh, secret Santa thing. So um, I think that'll, that'll come in handy when I'm playing in my next game. Um, but yeah, I, I get re reorganizing some of the character sheet stuff is kind of nice because sometimes the stuff on the front page isn't always uh, as relevant as it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to know about your bonds and, you know, like uh, so yeah, we tried to sort of optimize that kind of thing, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's also nice to have the journals. Like I use the journals all the time, to be honest. Um, it's uh, it's nice to just sort of have all of your notes in one place, and it's just uh, like sheets can get really tatty. Uh, it's nice to have like a book that it's all in instead. Um, and do you guys make those, or do you have them printed somewhere? Or how does that process work? Uh, we get those printed. Um, I think that we'd. Uh, we'd never have time to make them all um they they do sell out quite fast a lot of the time so i think we'd be uh we're pretty snowed under as it is so like um to be making those ourselves we would be crazy snowed under um well that's a good problem to have though then so yep yep it's uh yeah it's, it's a good problem to have and you know it's uh, we love what we do honestly it's lovely being able to just um uh build these worlds every day essentially and just um uh, live in this uh fantasy sort of uh world that we've created ourselves uh yeah it's a really nice job so so what does like a a day in the life of your of your work look like then mm -hmm. um <clears throat> well that can uh that can vary but um uh niels and i work together uh, niels is my husband and he's um uh he does a lot of the sort of illustration work um, and uh, he also has a, a degree in game design. Um, so he does a lot of the sort of nitty gritty 
um, stats stuff as well. And we essentially um, will come up with what we're going to work on together next and divide the jobs up and uh, and then sort of like have little meetings like looking at each other's sketches or um, reading each other's writing, editing it, um, saying, yeah, this sketch needs to look like this. Um, and maybe I'll spend a day taking nice photos of what we've made so that we can, you know, show people. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really varied. There's there's writing, there's drawing, uh, there's playtesting. Obviously, we play a lot of D and D um, to make sure that everything that we do uh, sort of makes sense. Um, there's always something that comes out in playtesting that you never expected, um, so it's always a good idea to uh, run it through. Um, yeah, playing playing D and D for work doesn't doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> no, it's a it's a nice time. <laughs> Yeah. When you're uh, playtesting those things, is it just usually you and your husband, or do you get friends involved? Oh yeah, no, we get friends involved. Um, uh, we've got lots of uh, very patient and lovely friends who let us play with them. Um, but also, like, uh, we're, like our Patreon has a, a Discord server, and uh, we run sort of like uh, campaigns and one shots over there. Um, so whenever we need to test something, uh, there are always people in the Patreon who. Uh, are up for playing with us so uh, we'll do it there too that's awesome that's a pretty cool experience we've been running a handful of games on the server as well um and it's fun to get people from the community to to join in and to hang out yeah exactly and uh like i have to say our patrons are just like the sweetest people um they're very nice players and uh, we really love playing games with them so i'm glad that they're there do you have any tips for somebody else that might be trying to start like a, a store kind of like this? Um, hmm. uh, I guess, I guess my advice would be to, um, a lot of it is just like about making sure that people know <laughs> about you. Um, you know, you, you got to, continuously sort of like tell people on social media uh what you're up to um but uh i think more than anything is playtest whatever you've made playtest it like it doesn't matter how confident you are in it playtest it <laughs> um like there will always be something to improve and uh yeah i think that that's the biggest mistake i see uh is just things that aren't playtested including our own stuff like when when we haven't playtested in the past like it's always been a mistake. So yeah, that's the number one. And then the number two is, yeah, just tell people about what you do because uh, uh, people won't find you otherwise. So <laughs> just uh, constantly, constantly tell people what you do on social media. And, uh, you know, uh, people like to get involved, like people like sharing uh, and uh, it's nice to sort of like talk to people um, about, I don't know, whether it's that you've made a character sheet or an adventure or whatever. And you know, we also get like a, a lot of really nice messages from people who've played our one shots and tell us how they went. Um, and that's like, it's obviously lovely to hear, but it's also really interesting to know uh, how it goes for other people. It sort of helps us learn um, more about what people are looking for, what people enjoy, and uh, maybe things that we might not have foreseen ourselves. Yeah, it's nice. To, it's almost like another... Um aspect of, of playtesting maybe a little bit after the fact but getting yeah. that feedback is important exactly yeah are there any um encounters like do you have a favorite encounter that you've run by encounter you mean like um just like a very small thing or like a or like a whole session like uh, it could be it could be a small kind of single thing or a whole session i'm i'm up for either um yeah, I think my favorite thing is it's it's probably one of the one shots I wrote um, that's in our shop called Spike Patch Grove. It's not it's not everyone's favorite, but like I'm I'm so pleased with that because it's essentially about uh you're in the wild magic swamp and um a nest of gator eggs have gone missing. Um and the guy who was watching them uh is uh, a bit of an idiot and needs help um finding where the eggs have gone because obviously he's worried about the babies and um without spoiling it um it 
the the solution is just completely uh non-violent if you want it to be um like there's no sort of um uh nefarious thing going on it's all uh sort of a very innocent explanation in the end and uh like the the vibe of that adventure is just really cozy and sweet and uh when i hear about how people have enjoyed it um <laughs> people approach it in like really creative ways and uh it's i don't know it's just a it's a heartwarming story for me and i think that that's probably my favorite uh sort of encounter is just like the the little moments that you get to play in that particular adventure um are all really cute and i don't know i i like that it doesn't always just have to be about stabbing things and killing things and just murdering monsters like you know this one's just more about like um being little swamp detectives with your friends in uh, a chill part of the world you know <laughs> it, it does sound uh kind of cute for a encounter yeah um how about uh favorite npcs do you have any favorite npcs or recurring characters for your players uh <laughs> yeah i think the one that immediately comes to mind is uh, a character in the f- the first one shot we ever published, actually, which was it's called the Tremor Train, and it's um, about a, a a missing staff member in a, a ghost train ride, essentially. And um, uh, the guy who runs the ghost train is like uh, an incredibly negligent fool um, who. Uh, due to his negligence, this staff member has, uh, you know, f- come to a, a, a bad fate, let's say. And um, uh, I get a lot of people sending me messages um, about this guy uh, because um, most most players uh, end up wanting to get revenge on this guy after they've solved the um, the adventure, as it were. The uh, a lot of them sort of like march back up to the guy and uh, either take him to jail or punish him in some way. Uh, people get really angry about how how negligent this guy's been running his ghost train, and um, uh, it just tickles me every time to hear all of the stories of revenge. And for some people, that guy's become like a recurring villain in their entire campaign after that. And <laughs> just like I love it, like. So I think he's probably my favorite because it's just, I, I would have never expected that to come out of the tremor train, but yeah. You're just going for, for negligent, but you, you've somewhat created a villain for people. Oh yes. Oh yeah. I mean like he's like crazy negligent, like, and just terrible. I mean like, you know, uh, people start talking about labor laws and all of this. Like uh, I'm trying to not spoil the story too much in case people haven't played it, but like, uh, you know, he's, he he's terrible obviously but like he's he's terrible in a uh, yeah i guess like a, a vaguely capitalistic sort of way uh do you have any other other things that you're passionate about or that you'd be that you'd want to talk about at the moment this is this is uh, a lot about where my uh sort of uh interests lie um uh, we have um we have been working on um a little pdf book uh, called the Ancestries and Cultures of Hemelin. Um, it's essentially a book of player options that replace race in fifth edition, um, and instead, yeah, separate them into uh, ancestries, like what your parents were like, and cultures, which is where you grew up. Um, Hemelin is the the fantasy world that we set all of our stuff in, and uh, essentially, this book um, sort of creates uh alternative ways um to build a character that are uh yeah less inherently racist and more about um uh making characters that like whose whose backgrounds make sense based on uh both like how they were born but also how they were raised um and yeah i think that that's a pretty important thing to add uh into the community at the moment um we weren't the first to do this. I mean, like Arcanist Press uh, made their Ancestry and Cultures um, book. Uh, and so this is something that we sort of were inspired to do based on uh, what they've been doing and others. And uh, yeah, I a lot of people who've been uh, using the book uh, have really enjoyed it so far. Um, and we plan to come out with some more Ancestry soon. Uh, the 
the ones that we covered in the book were just largely uh, the ones from fifth edition, you know, gnomes and elves and humans and all of that. Um, but we also uh, like to add a few of our own in. We have, you know, gator folk and things like this. Um, and we're working on a few more, um, which we hope to put out in maybe a version two at some point. But yeah, I think that that's a pretty important thing to add uh, in the community as well. Yeah, no, they kind of did that with Tasha's with the like custom line lineage or whatever, where you kind of pick, uh, pick kind of like the form that you want, and then and then kind of pick your features based on that. But it, it might be neat to have something a little bit more uh, specific or thought out than than basically just mix and match whatever you want, basically. Yeah, um. Yeah, like I quite like how we've sort of put it across is that it is quite a mix and match just because, I mean, uh, anything could be mix and match. So you, you can have multiple ancestries and this kind of thing as well. Um, but it just means as well that like, you know, uh, a half elf or a half orc, like at the moment in fifth edition, it's just presumed that the other half is human. Um, and so uh, here it's more like in our book, it's more about, um, yeah, like any combination is possible um so yeah that is pretty cool um it very would lead to very different characters than we see currently which i think is good yeah a bit more of a diverse range i think and just you know it's also not attributing all of the uh classic stuff like intelligence to certain races or like <laughs> alignments to certain races and things like that um it just gets away from all of that um, do you have a favorite house rule that you use? None come to mind at the moment, to be honest. So not necessarily house rule, but you did mention that you like when your stories have maybe nonviolent solutions. Do you do you tend to uh, make sure that that is an option for kind of most of your sessions? Uh, largely, yes. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I suppose unless someone like... Uh, unless someone's uh, being sort of like outwardly violent to the player characters, you know, in which case they might just, um, you know, it might just make sense to be violent back. But generally I do like to include nonviolent options. Um, I just think it brings a bit more interest to the game as well. And I feel like people have more creative solutions um, when they don't just have to fight everything all of the time. So, yeah. Fifth edition has like, largely combat based abilities for characters do you um does that seem to work all right for you or do you find yourself wanting to like add like different things for people that uh let them do let them have abilities that work more in like social or exploration type areas i mean the the social and exploration type stuff is also there so like um i don't feel generally like i need to add much in that way i guess um uh like i think my favorite thing like when i'm a player at least is um uh, being some sort of spellcaster and using my spells in creative ways you know rather than just use the spell to deal damage maybe use the spell to levitate this thing and that you know knocks this thing over here and whatnot and uh i just like i think it, there's also like um with all the games that we sort of run or play um the most fun memories are the times that we're sort of doing role play in some way. So like uh, we leave a lot of space for role play. Um, uh, just that sort of like leads to the exploration and um, uh, sort of chatting to NPCs, being able to uh, sort of converse with them without just everything immediately ending in a fight. Like I, I will like generally try to draw things out a little more before rolling initiative because like, the minute that you roll initiative, a lot of people take that as a signal as right now you're fighting. Um, and uh, so I, I try to sort of leave that until the last possible moment just to give everyone a chance to resolve it some other way first if they want. Um, and yeah, sometimes they take that, sometimes they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Players can be unpredictable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One more question for you. Uh, if you could have any RPG book created, what would you put in it? Uh, if I could have any RPG book created, like, um, oh, so like if you, and maybe this is a bit tricky since you guys do put out, uh, 
you know, D&D content. But, like, if you could just have, like, if there was a book, um, like, what what book or what would you want in a book that would help you maybe run a game better that you could have at your table that doesn't exist currently? I suppose something that I would find useful is um, uh, a book on how to introduce people <laughs> to D&D. Um, we're really lucky that pretty much all of our friends are just into it now already. But um, when you put a character sheet in front of someone, I think it's really overwhelming. I think that running a game uh, and then like having your players just have no idea that they can even roll to investigate or something like this. Like They're just looking at this character sheet with all of these things going on. They've got no idea what to do. Rolling the character, even in itself, is like quite a task. Um, and like I feel like that's the biggest barrier to entry at the moment is just like learning how to play and like at the moment a lot of people learn by just listening to a podcast first and that gives you a, a rough idea of like how to actually go about it but i don't feel like there's enough resources for like how how to like genuinely get started in a way that seems sort of like low pressure and easy like even maybe I don't know, character sheets that sort of level up themselves, where at first you just have really simple character sheets and the longer you play, the <laughs> the closer you get to using like just the, the regular sort of character sheet because I, so much of it is just overwhelming for people. And um, uh, I think that we could do with a guide on just like how to get people into it more. I think it would benefit everyone in the end. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really a neat concept um there's a there's a board game that we have it's a harry potter uh like deck building game um and the character sheet idea made me think of that because when you start the game there's like a couple of levels the first like every every new level you open a new box of stuff and you add like a new game mechanic to the game so the first like the first like three games are really like just teaching you how to play the game and they don't you don't have everything yet and then once you hit that fourth level essentially then you have basically what it would be considered like the core mm -hmm. gameplay but then every box after that is is basically upgrading the challenge to make it harder and harder and there's more things you have to worry about um and it, i i agree with you for me i'm the one uh, in the in my group of people that play that is most invested and I you know I don't mind digging through all the rules and figuring out what all the stuff on the mm -hmm. character sheet means um, but for the other players that are less invested exactly. or maybe just don't quite understand how stuff is set up that that initial going from not playing to trying to put everything onto a character sheet is it could be a lot simpler yeah. um and and without necessarily having to go to like D and D Beyond or you know some other resource and pay money to have you know stuff all built up for you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, even knowing where to go or like how to roll the stats at the beginning and stuff like that, like it's just yeah, the, like the fact that there are different ways to roll the stats if you want, and just like all of that stuff is like um, it's not going to occur. And like I I feel the most sorry for like those groups where they all know that they want to play D&D &D because like it's appealing to them in some way but literally no one has any idea including the DM because they're all new to it like those people need help in like an, in a nice way they need help like i i wish that there was something just like a little bit easier for people to um just be able to know what they're doing in those initial stages yeah i could see a character sheet like you said where you start with like maybe just your stats exactly and then like then like the next time is like okay now you've got stats and skills and yeah. and then you add your equipment and stuff or whatever you know some combination exactly. of that and then you slowly get to here's what a real like level one character sheet looks like yes and then build up from there you could probably build out a little adventure to like a tutorial adventure almost exactly with yeah. that as well which would be kind of a, a neat yeah. idea it's one sort of thing we want to work on, but um, having the time to work on anything is always our biggest challenge, honestly. We're just constantly swamped. Well, Rose, it was really fun talking to you. I think it was a really good conversation, and I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server. 